If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 5, is where we're going to be this morning. As we continue on our January series, Whole Life Disciples, um, if you're new with us, typically what we do here at the Park Church is we preach through books of the Bible, and we are making our way through, uh, we've been in Hebrews, and so we'll pick that up in a couple weeks, we'll get back into Hebrews, uh, but every year uh, our, our routine or rhythm has been to stop down in January and look at um, and really fix our gaze upon who Jesus has called us to be individually and corporately as a faith family. And so if you are new, this is, this is a great month for you to join us because uh, this brings clarity around why we do and uh, why we do everything here at the Parks Church, uh, why we do groups the way that we do them, why we do gatherings the way that we do them, why we do uh, community and, and, and serving. All those things gravitate around Jesus's call upon us individually and corporately uh, to be whole life disciples. And so each January looks a little bit different because we want to press into the spirit going, okay, like what, what, do you, what do you want us to have a conversation about from, from your word as it relates to us being shaped and formed into uh, whole life uh, disciples? Let's jump into the word of God. And we'll be in verses one. We'll be in two sections actually in, in Luke five. Um, but I'll just read the first verse uh, one through 11. This is on one occasion While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, it's also Peter, put out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. Let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, this is part one or section one. So when we think of whole life disciples, even, even that phrase, it's easy to jump uh, to what, what do we do, okay? As disciples, as followers of Jesus, what do we do? And, and Jake last week kicked off this series, really week one, kind of that 30,000 uh, foot view of, of, of the heart of whole life discipleship, Jesus's invitation to us, and in uh, this call from John 15 to abide and, and, and one author put it like this, is that oftentimes we are very quick to jump to Matthew 28. And right, if, if you've been in church any amount of time, you know what's there in Matthew 28. The all-important, right? Matthew 28, the great commission, right? Go and make disciples. Well, one author, he makes a distinction. He says, before we understand, fully understand how to carry out and fulfill the great commission, both individually and corporately, we have to understand, before that, the great invitation, So know this, the great invitation of Jesus proceeds is before 
the great commission of Jesus to his disciples. And oftentimes in the church world, I know in my life, I've gotten that flip. I'm like, okay, what do I do? What, how, do how do I need to perform? Well, I need to first understand continually what Jesus is inviting me into. And Jake did a phenomenal job describing that, talking about that. But this morning, I want to take it one step further. And I don't want to just look at the invitation. I want to look at what kind of invitation Jesus calls his disciples into. What kind of invitation Jesus calls his disciples into. And listen, the word invitation, we use it a lot. You just, it was just in the lyrics. I don't know if you picked that up. In the song, one of the songs that we just sang, this invitation. It's one thing to know that Jesus has an invitation for us. It's a whole other thing to understand what kind of invitation Jesus has for his disciples biblically. And oftentimes in these two texts that we'll see in, in Luke chapter 5, um, what is focused, and it's, very, it's an important point, what's focused is verse 11, the end or the outcome. And what happens, right? This incredible scene, and it says that they, they left everything and followed him. Very important, very critical. The next section we'll read in, in Luke chapter 5, uh, 27 through 32. That's the calling of Matthew the tax collector, right? Levi the tax collector, same guy. All right, it says that Jesus calls him, follow me. And what does he do? He left everything and followed Jesus. And we go, yes, isn't that so incredible? And we should, yes, it's right. However, what we need to understand in the first century Jewish culture, the kind of rabbi Jesus would have been known as, the kind of teacher, the kind of master he was known as and kind of getting his, um, uh, kind of his reputation was going throughout the region. For him to go up to these guys and go, come follow me, the appropriate response would have been for them to leave everything and follow them. Like if we were laying this out before a first century Jewish culture, they'd have been like, yes, like guys, that is what you should do. You should leave everything and follow that guy. What a privilege, what an honor to do that. So for us, when we hear leave everything and follow, we actually have no context of that, right? Like we have no context for what that really means. Nobody's ever called you to do that. But I promise you, if, if I said, hey, um, if I was a college student, I just graduated high school, I said, um, hey, Harvard has reached out to me and Harvard has asked me to sell everything, leave everything behind and come study with them free, right? They'll even pay me to come study with them, right? Free of charge. I bet very few of you, there'd be a couple of you and I know why, but I bet very few of you would be like, you're crazy. I bet most of you would be like, yes, that makes sense, right? The premier institution uh, in the U.S. calling you to do that for free, go for it, right? But what I want to highlight in these two sections, what lies around them leaving everything in following Jesus. There's some really critical information around these two passages that I want to unpack for us because that is going to show us what kind of invitation Jesus extends not only to his disciples in the first century, but to us today. And it's important for us to understand the kind of invitation he calls us to as whole life disciples. So I'm, I'm going to let kind of the, the lead out. Here is the kind of invitation that Jesus extends to us. There's a lot of words we could put there, right? We could put a, it's a loving invitation. It's a gracious invitation. It's, a, it's an unmerited, an unearned invitation. 
But from these two texts, the word I want to put before invitation is this. What kind of invitation does Jesus extend to us today is this, a disruptive invitation. It is one that absolutely and beautifully disrupts every fiber, every facet, every inch of our lives. One might say, our whole lives. Whole life discipleship. Now, this is often the thing around, these are often the things around this text that gets neglected. However, I understand in our culture, in our context, that the word disruptive carries a negative connotation, right? Let's, let's be honest. Even, even silly little things like, you know, there was a disruption in my internet service. Oh, you know, like my cell service, right? Or my kids disrupted this, or this was a disruption. I want to submit to you this morning that Jesus' disruptive invitation is the most beautiful thing on the planet for our lives. That it's this disruptive invitation that actually leads to the things in our lives we long for most. Wholeness. Joy. Identity. Satisfaction. Fulfillment. Those things that you and I are longing for are found in his disruptive invitation to you and me to come to himself. And so here's what I mean. I, I like giving definitions around what we're talking so, so we can be clear. What is Jesus's disruptive invitation? Um, you can put up the next slide. It's this, a call to live by faith, leaning into embracing and embracing the holy resistance away from what our flesh and world naturally gravitate toward. What is this disruption he's calling us to? What is this invitation he's calling us to that is so disruptive? It is a life of absolute faith and trust in Jesus, which is a life of resistance and tension, right? Because whether you you like it or not, the Bible paints this picture for us that there is a war going on in your heart and my heart as a disciple. One between the spirit and one between our flesh. Do you ever feel that? There's this ten- yes, yes we're all, all of you who are honest are nodding your heads, right? And the call to this disruptive, the, the, this disruptive invitation is a call to live by faith and actually leaning into that tension and resistance because what God wants to do is he wants us to draw us more into himself and more into the image of his son and less and less into the ways of our flesh and the world. But that's where we gravitate. And so we need Disruption. We need him to interfere and interrupt in our lives. And so that's why we say with all confidence that this is a beautiful, disruptive invitation of faith by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to disrupt our lives in the best of ways. And so let's look at this scene. And there are a lot of things that we could look at in the Gospels in terms of disruption, the disruptive invitation, but we'll stay just in these, these texts. And so the first thing is this. Let's, let's look at it in this first scene where he calls... Peter and some of the other disciples is that Jesus disrupts their experiential expectations. This is pretty amazing, isn't it? Like, like Jesus comes to them, right? He's been teaching. He's been doing some, some different things early on in his ministry, asserting his authority and his power uh, over nature and supernature. He comes in and, uh, and he tells Peter, he says, Hey guys, can I use your boat? I want to teach probably pretty common ask by a rabbi or a teacher. They, they allow him to use the boats. And they, they, again, it says that they just came in from fishing, right? In the night, they're probably tired. And uh, they say, yes, you can go out there. So he teaches and he teaches and then he directs his attention to them. And this is where like the disruption really begins. And he's like, here's what I want you guys to do. 
I want you to throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And again, try, try to shake off some of the familiarity you have with this story, all right? Just track with me. So, so he's like, throw over your, your nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, Master, we have been fishing all night. Like, we've been doing this all night. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we're like actually professional fishermen. Like, this is what we do. Me and my crew, like, this is, this is what we do day in and day out. If anybody's going to know that there's fish on the other side of the boat, it's us, Okay? And you want us to go out and throw them. But here's what I love about, about Simon Peter. He says, all right. <laughs> right? So, is that an act of faith? I don't know. But it, he says, okay, there's faith. And so he, he, throws, he throws the nets over. Oh, and what happens? Right, they're so full, they can't even fill them up. Right, like they can't even pull them back in. And they holler for their friends. And, and they bring them all around totally defying. Peter and the rest of these other professional fishermen's experiential expectations. What was their expectation when they threw the net on the other side of the boat? Their expectation, let me just tell you this, their expectation was this, that they're going to pull up exactly what they pulled up the whole night. Why? Because they're professionals. That was their experience. Until what? Until Jesus steps in the boat and totally disrupts their experiential, right? Their, their experiential expectations. Let me tell you, a life, a whole life disciple is someone who lives their life not by accumulated experiences leading the way. But a whole life disciple is someone who lets the faith, faith, faith in Jesus Christ lead everything in their lives. And here's what I know about myself and probably us even collectively as a com- community. We know that to be true intellectually. We know we are supposed to live by faith and not by sight, right? Like we talk about that. We, we know that. But we are so prone. We are so prone to allowing and letting accumulated experiences be the determination in our lives of how we live, how we operate over actually faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And listen to me, there's nothing wrong with experiences. There's nothing wrong with gleaning from past experiences. What's wrong with it is when that leads the sum total of your life, when that leads everything in your life, when Jesus says, throw your nets over, and you go, no, I've, listen, I'm a professional. I threw them over a hundred times and they came back empty. And Jesus goes, throws them, throw, it, throw it over one more time. You go, no, experience tells me I'm gonna keep them in the boat. Do you, as a whole life disciple, live your life in faith, by faith? You see, if we are trying to live our lives mitigating risk, trying to calculate our experiences and our next moves, what are we really living for? What's really leading our lives? Security? Comfort, control. You see, the journey of whole life discipleship is far more exciting than that. Or at least it it should be, right? And listen, I love a good pros and cons list, okay? As much as the next person. The scriptures tell us that faith is a gift from God. But it's a gift so oftentimes, and I'm talking about saving faith, I'm talking about walking with Jesus, trusting him with your whole life is one that we reject, reject, reject. 
You see, this example here in Luke 5 isn't just an example of Jesus going, hey, are you going to listen to me, right? And that's important in discipleship, right? This is Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, yet you don't do what I say, right? Like, that's important, okay? That's really critical. This scene in Luke chapter 5 is also Jesus going, as you follow me, Peter, right out of the gate, right out of the gate, here's something I want you to know. John, here's something I want you to know. That right out of the gate, as you follow me, there are going to be all of these moments where worldly wisdom and what I ask from you are going to stand in stark contrast to one another. And the question will be, do you trust me? Are you going to live by faith? Whole Life Disciple, Parks Church. There will be times in your life and in my life where God calls us to do things that make no sense in worldly estimation, in worldly wisdom, or in our past experiences. I can't tell you how many times, probably in my life alone, where I have excused away obedience and stepping out in faith and living in faith and put over it, well, I'm not sure if that's the wise thing. You ever done that? Not sure if that's wisdom. And listen, wisdom is a person. Wisdom is Jesus. The wisest thing we can do is live in obedience and faith to him, surrendering all things to him. But in following Jesus, there will be times where he calls us to throw out the net again. We did it already. Do it again. You see, and oftentimes our minds go to these big moments. How am I going to live by faith then? Or, or maybe, Lord, what are, you, what are you calling me to do there? But I want to talk about living our lives of faith in the mundane, in the ordinary moments. That's where whole life discipleship, that's where this disruptive invitation is truly worked out. In the mundane, ordinary moments of your life and in my life. Not just in the spectacular. Eugene Peterson, um, I love what he says about this. He says, the only opportunity you will ever have to live by faith is in the circumstances you are provided this very day. Think about that. The opportunity you have to apply this point from, from, from Luke 5 is in what Jesus has provided for you today, right? He goes on to say, in the house you live in, right? With the neighbors and the family and the spouse and the kids he's entrusted you with, the friends, the family that you find yourself in, the job you have been given, the weather conditions that prevail at the moment, right? That's so typical Eugene Peterson, right? And the weather that you find yourself in. Where is your chance to live by faith? Right now. In this moment, in this day, in the place that the Lord has you. So he disrupts our experiential expectations. Let's keep going in the text because this isn't where the disruption ends. Because look at Peter's response in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, right, when, when, when he experienced this, when Jesus just defied and disrupted his experience, right, his experiential expectations, look at what his response was in verse 8. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, right? Opposite the call of what Jesus is about to give to him. He's going, you need to depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. And by the way, his assessment is right. But what does Jesus do in verse 10? Right? Jesus could have been like, you're right, Peter. You're not cut out for this. Right? 
You should have listened to me. Go on. What does he do? He absolutely disrupts his shame. He says, do not be afraid. Goodness, I, I love this. I love that in this scene, in the trajectory that our Savior is setting, not only for his disciples that he's calling, but for us as disciples as well, we will constantly find our places in this where we, get, we will get gl- glimpses of who the Lord is as we w- work through his word. And we'll just be like, Lord, you're, you're, you're devastating me, right? Lord, who am I, right? This Isaiah, like, who, uh, who am I, right? If we truly see the Lord and here's the Lord's response to us, don't be afraid. Like, no, 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 draw near, We've talked about this even in the book of Hebrews, right? This is the foundation that the book of Hebrews is, is setting for us. It's like, no, you can draw near to God because of Christ, not because of your works, right? Peter's right in his assessment of who he is, but Jesus, what he does is he disrupts his shame and he goes, no, you don't have to be afraid. Draw near to me. And some of you this morning, the word you need to hear from this in whole life discipleship is this, that the Lord absolutely wants to come into that space and that area in your life where you're carrying so much guilt and so much shame and remind you that he is greater and that he has called you his, that he's called you his son, that he's called you his daughter, and he's called you out from under that heavy burden of shame right? Romans, you need to keep reminding yourself of what Romans says, like, therefore, now there is no condemnation. For who? Those who are in Christ. If you are a disciple, there is no condemnation for you. Do not be afraid. And so part of whole life discipleship is understanding that this disruptive invitation calls us away from shame and calls us out of shame. You see, we have this misconceived idea of who Jesus calls as his disciples, right? And who Jesus uses in partnering with him and advancing his kingdom. He uses the really educated, the really faithful, the really wealthy, the really charismatic, the really blah, 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 blah. No, he he uses each person he sovereignly calls. That's who he uses. And if he has called you his, he desires to use you. He desires to grow in your life beautifully. You see, we need this assurance this morning. We need this assurance in 2022, do not be afraid. Oh, I, I'm not worthy. Oh, you're right. But I've made you worthy. Don't be afraid. Draw near. Step into this disruptive invitation and you will see how much I love you. You'll see how much I care for you. I love you enough to disrupt your life in the best of ways. He's not done disrupting in this scene. Verse 10, the second part, he says, do not be afraid. And look at this next one. From now on, you will be catching men. Weird statement, kind of. Yeah, a little bit, right? But what's he saying here? He's going, listen, you had a, a, a barometer of success, right? Once before. Jesus rolls onto the scene, calling them to be disciples. He goes, I'm going to give you a new definition of what success is. So I'm going to disrupt your definition of success and greatness. He goes, this is what it's going to look like to be great in the kingdom of God. And it's going to be this, that I have commissioned you to catch men. To be a disciple who makes disciples. Kyle, what what does that look like? Well, that's the journey that you see Jesus take these men on. And take us on through, the whole go- through all four Gospels, right? But I, I want to ask the question to you this morning as a disciple. What is success for you? How would you define success? Because maybe for these fishermen, 
They would go, man, the success was that he just filled our nets bursting and our friends saw it and they came over and helped. And man, this is, this is good. This is working out really good. And Jesus goes, no, I'm going to give you a new definition of success. The success is ultimately going to look like you losing your life for me. Greatness, it's going to look totally different. How would you define success? And maybe a better way to do this would be how would those around you say that you define it? What does success look like for you as a follower of Jesus? Would your spouse agree with your definition that you wrote down or thought about? Would your kids agree? You see, success in the kingdom of God is about what Jake talked about last week, an abiding faithfulness to the one who has called you and saved you and redeemed you. That's what success looks like. You, you want to know what greatness looks like? Read Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to how he starts it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. What? You want to talk about disruptive? That's disruptive. That's a disruptive list in my estimation. See, but what we have is a savior. We get so fixated on progress in our culture, right? Making progress, you know, pardon our progress. Growth. Building something great. There's a different method and metric in the kingdom of God. There's a disruptive thing that Jesus does in our lives as disciples is that he totally messes with our definition of greatness. He totally messes with what, what it looks like to be great. Jesus himself will say, you want to know what it looks like to be great? You want, you want to know what it looks like? It looks like that you're the servant of all. Not that you would stand tall, but that you would stoop low. The Gospels are full of all of these paradoxes, this, this idea that we've talked about. It's this upside-down kingdom that in our own intellect, in worldly wisdom, it just doesn't make sense. That's not going to work. And Jesus goes, I'm playing by a different set of rules. And then he calls Levi. This is Luke. Five, the next disciple, a tax collector. And I'm not going to go through the context of this. Most of you know that a tax collector was not looked upon very well in society. They stole. They frauded. Everybody despised them. In verse 27, look at this. After this, Jesus, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Just that in of itself was disruptive. That he would invite this guy in proximity to him. 
Kyle, how do you know that? Let's keep reading. (laughs) And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees, here we go, the religious folks roll up on the scene, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? At this point, I wish Jesus would have said, because I don't want to dine alone. But Jesus is not as snarky as me, and he has a better response. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, you guys. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here is another disruption. And not just the disruption in Jesus calling Levi. The disruption in the religious expectations of the day. You see the disruption now from the religious leaders. They are not happy, right? This doesn't fit within their system. This doesn't fit within uh, their parameters of what the Messiah or what a good rabbi should do. And they grumble. I love that Luke uses that word because that's what religious people do, by the way. They grumble. (laughs) Anytime I grumble, I know I'm not... (laughs) I'm not walking in the spirit. I'm walking in my flesh. And what do they grumble about? They grumble that Jesus is not walking in the religious expectation they have for him. You see, here is the the expectation of religion. And we are guilty of this as well. The expectation of religion is this. Perform, then receive. The tax collector, come on, Jesus. He hasn't done anything. He disregards the law. He's a fraud. He's a Come on. Why are you eating and drinking with sinners and other tax collectors? They need to perform first. They need to clean up their act. Then maybe they'll be eligible to follow you. But here is the scandal of the gospel that it comes in and it totally blows that up. And Jesus enters the scene and goes, no, I haven't called those who are well. (laughs) I've called those who are sick. Those actually, those are the ones who need a physician. And so the gospel is this, as Jesus says, come to me, I will make you well, I will make you whole, I will qualify me, I will qualify you, right? That's the scandal of the gospel. It's not perform and then receive, it's this, receive Christ and I'll show you how to live. Receive the free gift of Christ, live by faith in him, and then you will walk out obedience, then you will walk out the joy of understanding who he is fully. So Jesus disrupts religious expectations. Let me tell you, those are still alive and well in churches and yes, even in the Parks Church. Those religious expectations are still alive and well in my heart. And I need the disruption of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to root those things out of me. In the last section here. So after talking to the religious leaders about this, he tells them a parable. He says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And if no one puts new, and, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, if he does, the new wine will burst, right? Disruption will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be what? Put into fresh wine skins. 
I love this parable right after he confronts the religious leaders, right after he calls Peter, and right after he calls this tax collector because he goes, listen, I'm going to disrupt everything. And here's what you need to know about the disruptive invitation of Jesus is that it doesn't sync up with anything else. It is an exclusive invitation. This is a fancy word called syncretism that Jesus is just talking about. The idea of living as whole life disciples, the idea that you can merge that into living however, with whatever um, uh, set of rules you want to live with and bring preferences, the idea that you can merge though, Jesus just goes, no. What happens when you try to put a new patch on an old garment is that you ruin both of them. That's why this is such a disruptive call is that you can't merge your already good life with the gospel and go, listen, then I have disciples. No, you have religion, you have some, but you don't have the gospel. You don't have true discipleship. You don't have truly a whole life that is surrendered to King Jesus. It's all of him or none. It doesn't sync up with anything. It's like putting new wine in old wineskins. It bursts and neither are good anymore. And so listen, when we talk about habits or rhythms and spiritual disciplines, all of those things that we believe God has orchestrated and given us, they don't, they don't save us. Jesus alone saves us. But we believe that those habits and those rhythms, even that Jake talked about last week, and the ones that you'll talk about in your praxis group and formation group, all of those are meant to be be resistance to where my heart and your heart naturally gravitate toward. My heart naturally gravitates toward religion. My heart naturally gravitates towards accumulated experience navigating my life over faith. But when I fast, when I pray, when I come to the word, let me tell you what happens. My way is disrupted by the Holy Spirit every time. And that's why we say with confidence that this is a beautiful, disruptive invitation. That everything we do here at the Parks Church, it centers on Christ. It centers on the gospel of Jesus Christ because we want his invitation to you, to this church, to this community to be true and honest that this is a way, this is, this is the best, not just a way, this is the best way That his way is the best way for your life. That it, in the end, leads to the things that you are searching for, like I said in the very beginning. That we would be, if you will, disruptive disciples, right? People who are very okay with the Holy Spirit disrupting our lives. And some of you are like, yeah, disruptive disciples. No, you're thinking of an obnoxious disciple. (laughs) Very different. Kyle, what's a disruptive disciple? Galatians 5. Someone who is full of the Spirit, yielding love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's a disruptive disciple. Someone who is so led by the Spirit of God. And so listen, we live our lives in community, asking the Lord to lead us in living in that tension of the pull, yes, toward our flesh, but allowing us to be pulled by his spirit back to where he wants us.
in all facets and in all areas in our whole life. Listen, church, that's, that's the journey we're on together. Is it easy? I, I wish I could say, yeah, it's easy. No. Was it easy for the disciples? If you know your gospel, you know the tension that they lived in. They'd hear Jesus say things and they'd be like, wait, 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 you can't say that. And he's like, yes, I can. No, I have to die. He'll say things to them like, no, listen, here's what it looks like to gain your life. It looks like you losing it. He says the same things to us because he knows in those things that's where we'll actually find our lives. And so even as we take communion together this morning, and you can pull out your nice chalice here. Does anybody need communion? You can lift up your hands. One of our, our Mike, our host, can help you. Just lift up your hand. We've got those guys who can serve you. Anybody? Okay, we've got some over here. You want to talk about disruption. What you hold in your hands. Jesus going to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. These disciples expected something totally different. There's got to be a different way. And Jesus goes, there is no other way. There's no other way. And so, hear me, at the Parks Church, this is the only thing we do that's closed. And by closed, I mean that we invite anybody who is a, a, a Christ follower to join with us in communion. But maybe you'd say, hey, I'm just not there yet. I'd invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus this morning. And that this would be your first time in remembering his death for you. But if you're not there yet, I just ask for you to abstain from taking this. Um, but for the rest of us, I want you to stand with me. Listen, our, our prayer for 2022 has been that the Lord would show up, continue to show up at the Parks Church in our lives individually and corporately in such powerfully profound ways that he'd interrupt and disrupt all of those areas in my life that I'm still kicking against and I'm still pushing, trying to keep him out of. And I would see that his invitation is so beautifully disruptive that he's inviting me in. Going, Kyle, you don't understand the fullness I have for you. You don't understand the joy I want. And so our prayer is this, Lord, we, we long to understand that. We long to live in that. We long to, to run to that, to run to the Father. And so we do this in remembrance, not of the sacrifice back then, but of the sacrifice that is applied to us today in Him. And so Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, the Word of God tells us that He took bread, after giving thanks, He broke it. He told His disciples that this bread represents His broken body, broken for them. Same thing he tells us today. And so let's take the broken body of Jesus Christ together. On the same night, he also took the cup. 
told his disciples that this cup represents his blood, the new covenant, that the old has been fulfilled in him, that the way of salvation is covered. It's by his blood. The reason we stand in confidence, the way we can walk into this invitation is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so let's take the cup together, church. response after taking communion is always what? Worship. And so we're not going to worship in singing right now. We're going to worship in prayer. And I want you to lift your voice to the God who has redeemed you, to Jesus Christ who has saved you and invited you in. Father, we love you. God is a community of faith. We lift our voices after taking communion, after taking the broken body and shed blood of your son, a people who are far from perfect, but made righteous in and through him. God, we are made holy because he is holy. And so, Lord, we trust in that. God, we walk into this invitation. We step into this disruption that you beautifully invited us into because you are good and your way is perfect and your way is right. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us. You would show us how to submit our whole lives to you, how to surrender our whole lives to you. Father, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would show us and illuminate the areas of our hearts. God, that we are still kind of giving you the stiff arm. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, walk faithfully this week, lives full of faith. God, that when people peer into our lives, they would be curious because we live lives so surrendered to you. It would be so foreign to the watching world for your glory. Oh, God, I thank you for your invitation. I thank you for the journey you have this church on. Continue to keep us and hold us for your glory until we gather again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.